Ernest Tomaso, your first-year student host for the My First Year Story podcast. Here, I'll be sitting down with people who have the answers to your college questions and who can help me survive my first year as a University of Connecticut student by telling their own first-year stories during our conversations. I am so excited to welcome our guest for today, President Thomas Katsuleas. President Katsuleas was appointed in February 2019 as the 16th president of UConn. He is a leading plasma scientist and engineer who emphasizes learning and research. Before serving as our president, he previously served as executive vice president and provost of University of Virginia. Welcome, President Katsuleas. Thank you, Tommaso. It's a pleasure. I know, especially on this chilly day where we finally got to sit down and talk. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you, this is a fireside chat. <clears throat> I hope your listeners imagine that we're looking out the window at the Benton Museum at snow falling and a white covering across all of the outside campus. It's I'm, really quite beautiful. <laughs> And quite it's only October. <laughs> I know, right? I guess the Mother Nature wanted to rush through the winter season. Basically, the way today is going to work is I'm just going to ask you some questions and we'll have just a great conversation. Great. To start off, what was your first year in college like? And how do you think it compares to the lives of like us first years now? Yeah. You know, um, I was a transfer student, actually, from Santa Monica Community College to uh, UCLA. And, uh, and I was um, a commuter student. I was a student athlete in, at, at Santa Monica College and briefly, you know, a, an inglorious student athlete at UCLA. I, <laughs> I, I was a walk on to the water polo team. I didn't last very long, but I had a good time for for about half a season. Of course. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think I'd like to share the story of my my first semester at, at UCLA. And um, uh, I came to the Big U. It was all quite exciting. Um, I was interested in engineering and physics, and um, I thought I was going to be pre-med at that point in time. And, uh, uh, but not because I really knew what I was doing. I, I, I just, I just knew, you know, a medical career sounded like a like a good career. Right, I mean, sturdy. I just, wasn't that was a calling at this point, right? So, so um, by default, I was headed that way. And I, I remember uh, a few weeks into the semester, we had our first first midterm in um, my calculus class, and and uh, it was a big class with um, a couple hundred seats in it. And usually it was quite empty. <laughs> and, uh, but the day of the midterm, I was running a little bit late because I'd come from uh, the class before. And the professor there had run, would always run long. Right. And I, you know, as, as with a lot of students, you're, you're sort of thinking, well, I don't want to be impolite and interrupt the professor. So right, I, but you got to go somewhere. So you got to go somewhere. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm watching my watch. I'm going, I'm going to be late for my midterm, but I was too timid right. to get up and leave the course. So, so I, you know, left the class probably five minutes late and I got to the, the exam, which was a 50 minute exam, maybe 10 minutes late. And lo and behold, it was a big surprise to me that the, um, every seat was full, <laughs> except the last seat in the back corner of this big amphitheater <laughs> that, was, you. that you know, was very steep, right, yeah. looking down, one of those traditional things. And, um, uh, and the, ha- the test had already been, ha- been handed out, so I got to the back and raised my hand, and someone brought me an exam. <laughs> and people were furiously scribbling, and I, and I remember um, I, I dropped my pencil, and um, it, I could hear it rolling down the... All the auditorium, the <laughs> and, and and luckily there was a student next to me, and and she was 
one of those students who was extremely prepared. And she, I remember she had a bundle of pencils that was about as big as your fist with a rubber band around it, just in case of everything. I had one. She had a hundred. And she was very kind. And she reached over and she handed me one of her pencils because she saw what happened. And so I started working and I thought, oh, I'm kind of in trouble here. This seems like a long test. <laughs> and uh, the inst- about five or ten minutes into it, the instructor got up in front and I think he realized it was a long test, too. So he said, you know, it may seem long, so don't worry about it. Just do what you can. I, I think he was trying to be helpful. Right. But... And, and being a freshman, I was like, oh, how nice. I'm not going to worry about it. So I relaxed. Oh, and, so you took and, your time. I, but I did notice that everybody around me started scribbling faster when he said that, <laughs> which, is, which is, you know, the real cue from what he was saying is right. it's, it's really too long. It's long. And so, um, you know, he said, time's up. I turned in the test and I didn't think much of it. I came back, you know, a week or so later and he's handing out the tests. And uh, I'd gotten about halfway through and I got a score of about 50. Right. And uh, uh, he put the curve up up on the board and it was uh you know zero 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 to 90 was an a and da, da, da. well needless to say you know a b c d it, his his curve didn't even make it down to my score no, so you were like so, didn't really okay, help me but thanks this, this professor is, <laughs> this is not good i'm thinking this is yeah i didn't even make it onto the board so it was a clear fail and uh so at that point i'm thinking well you know, I had all these plans coming to the Big U, but maybe I should just plan on seeing if I can, you know, get C's, you know, get a, get a job, that, yeah. get a, get get try to graduate, get a job. I mean, I kind of put on a shelf any thought I had of going to grad school or getting a PhD or an MD or any of that stuff. Off right? of that one calc test? Well, I, you know, it's it's your first data point, sure. right? Yeah. I, I came to the Big U. I had no I I had no perspective. It was the first test, and um, I realized that. I realized that I was late and I could have done better, but I but I also thought, you know, probably like this is fit, probably going to be the trend. For this is this is probably going to be it. So, um, but the one thing that I I did that was wise, and I encourage all students to do, is I went to go see the the instructor and and uh, had a conversation. He agreed to to um, essentially use my final score to replace my midterm score and and uh if if i would like and you could tell that he kind of thought that it's not going to help you right (laughs) but but i'm happy to do it for you you know so i said okay and and um it you know it it, of course at the in the end i I studied very hard and i did very well in the final and and the rest is history and, and uh and and everything worked out fine but i think the the point is that the special moment of being a, a freshman is you, you really just don't have a perspective and you don't, and sometimes setbacks can seem permanent. Yeah, but bigger than they are. Bigger than they are. But it's and just one test or one just, midterm or one final. Exactly, so. exactly. Yeah. So that's, I think that's my story, you know, that I would share right. with freshmen is um, don't let a, a temporary setback uh, lower your sights and, and your ambitions. And uh, it's not, you know, uh, it's not a race, you know, no, yeah. and uh, uh People, people master master topics and fields at different at different rates, and the rate at which you pick it up doesn't have any necessarily correlation with with uh, how well you master it in the end, or or the other skills and perspectives that you bring to uh, to whatever challenge you face in life. So um, everything's still possible. Yeah, I was recently I was reading an article that Leslie Jones, the comedian, had written, and she was like everybody's trying to be something at 20 or so young. And it's like, you don't even know who, who you are yet. So, yes. and success doesn't come so early. Success comes so much later. And she's 
Yes, later in life. And she cited all these sources about like, yes. he didn't do anything until he was 30 or uh, right. Vera Wang didn't make her first dress until she was 40. So right. there's right. no rush in getting anywhere. It's not a race. Yeah. That's right. Just, you that's try to accumulate you're... all the experiences you can because yeah. you never know how they're going to feed into um, whatever it is you end up doing. I mean, I like to tell the story that, that you know, in the summers, um, I, I did do some relevant internship experience, but uh, but most of the time in the summers I was doing uh, life beach, ocean lifeguarding. Yeah. But you know through that I learned. Uh, you know, I got trained on personnel issues. I you know did supervision. I worked with the public. A lot of those skills that I developed, you know, doing that, um, I call on today. So you just never know the experiences that you get in life, how they're going to come to bear and, and help you succeed. Do you have any lifeguard horror stories? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, uh, it depends on what you mean by a horror story. So fortunately, no one ever over, no one ever drowned. We, uh, Not on your watch. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, very rare to have drownings uh, at L.A. County beaches. I mean, the, the professional service is very proud of that. Um, not, you know, on average, once every couple of years, there'd be a drowning, even though there'd be um, something like 5,000 rescues a year. Mm -hmm. And um, and we were pretty busy I'd make a rescue every one or two days of lifeguarding so it was they were they were pretty common um so you know the scary stories i there was one where i was opening my lifeguard tower early and I, so i was by myself usually it's a team approach where if you make a rescue there's another another lifeguard it's nearby that is that is backing you up and all of this but because i was the only one around i i, I went out into the water with near a, a rock groin the rock groin created a riptide that was pulling um this little girl in, into the rips. And I thought, no big deal. I went out with the rescue can to go get her. Um, but um, I hadn't I hadn't opened up and notified it, notified anyone else. Um, but what I didn't anticipate is um, her sister and her father came out after her. So they were also stuck in the rip? And they were all, they all got stuck. Oh my God. And so there was only one of me and I was pretty tied up with the, the first girl. Of course. And so struggling to get her back, tell the others to just wait. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the father was the, was the real emergency because he was a non-swimmer. So luckily a lifeguard truck came along uh, just as I was, you know, getting to the, getting to the, um, the last victims and, and came and helped. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, you know, the, the worst horror story from a, a life point of view. On a personal level, the, the, the worst horror story was, again, it's, you know, you don't anticipate what trouble you're going to get into. I remember there was a, um, there was a, a sailboat that was getting too close to shore and I walked down to the beach to kind of wave them yeah, off. Yes, so I stepped back. And I'm, I think I was a, a rookie. So in the theme of your podcast of first year mistakes, right. I, I, you know, I made the mistake of not grabbing my boat tow with me um, which you hook to your rescue can and use to pull a boat out if it gets in distress because the boat wasn't in distress. It was just too close. Yeah. But of course, you know, that you never know what it's going to evolve, you know, what you need to be prepared for. So, so I didn't bring it. And then of course the boat got in distress and started to drift into the shore. I had to run back to the tower to get my boat tow. And the, from a personal point of view, this was the worst disaster because of course my supervisor came along in the truck. I was like, what's and, going on? And I'm running away from the rescue as the boat's coming in. I'm thinking this is just the- Right, you're like, I'm getting fired. This, my I'm job is get over fired. before yeah. it even starts. I'm gonna get fired, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, it's the mistakes you make that stick with you, I think, yeah. Yeah, do you have any, um, like talking about your first, you talked about your first year at UCLA, what about your first year at Santa Monica? What was that like? You know, um, it, it was uh, a good experience. Uh, I, I, 
I had been a swimmer in high school and I thought I was gonna swim at UCLA. Uh, at that time, UCLA actually won the national championship in swimming with, with, without me. <laughs> uh, I did not realize I wasn't competitive enough at that point to, to make the team. So I decided to go to Santa Monica College, which had a nice program um, and stay close to home and, and swim for a little bit and play water polo. And um, you know, I took courses and uh, made a lot of friends on the, on the swim team. Um, I did learn one, I did, I did well in school and I, I, I thought one of the most valuable classes I, I got was, uh, was in uh, writing and composition. It kind of, for me as an engineer it, and physicist, it broke writing into, um, in, in, into a more formulaic approach rather than a completely unstructured approach. Yeah. And it, it helped me with the structure I needed to become a better writer. And I thought that was useful, even though nobody loves English composition, right. English comp one. one. Nobody loves comp one, but but, you do but, it, so you but can... I still look back on it as really one of the valuable things I took away from my yeah. first year. Uh, the other thing I did my first year is I, I took a general education course in American history at seven to ten at night, once oh. a week. So you were and, awake for that? Probably. Oh no, <laughs> no that that is probably the, my worst academic memory of uh, uh, of college. Is those seven is, to is ten? Is that seven nights. to ten Thursday night course? By the time Thursday came along, most of the time, I mean, I'm going to class Monday through Wednesday. By the time Thursday come, came along, half the time, I forget I even had the class. Right. You were like ready to go, oh. go out. It's Thursday yeah. night. And this, this was like the, be well, I don't know so much that because I was getting up in the morning to do uh, 6 a.m. swimming workouts. Oh, so probably not. So, <laughs> so I wasn't going to go out, but, but also getting used to that early schedule for morning practice, I was really asleep by 8.30. And right. so... That class was the most painful. I, I, I learned I don't like night classes. I don't like once a week yeah, classes. Especially if it's history, and, it must be pretty dry. Yeah, and I, that was the beginning of some recurring nightmares that um, <laughs> no. I, 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 I found a lot of people have this nightmare is that basically you, in the dream, you, you know, it's, it's a week before finals and you realize that there's a course you forgot you had. And, <laughs> the and, whole year. And suddenly you haven't gone for the whole year. And there's this big, thick textbook that goes with it. And, and you realize, oh, my God, I've been forgetting to go to this class. I haven't turned any homework. And I've got a week to prepare for the final. That sounds and like that, awful that, was, that was a terrible nightmare. And I, I, I've since learned that other people have it, too. But I, I really blame that Thursday 7 to 10 history class for those nightmares. Yeah, it's like, and they what, lasted a long time. What are you forgetting? And yeah. then you're like, I'm not forgetting anything, but it feels like you're forgetting oh, something. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I hope that feeling goes away someday. Yeah, it does eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so jumping ahead yeah. out of co your college years into now being here and stuff, and, and your time at University of Virginia, what is like a common problem you see that plagues first-year students? You know, I I think uh, the the biggest thing is um, th this sense of a race, and also the sense that they've been the top ten percent of their class when they came in. And so is everybody else here, and yeah. and so suddenly they're in they're in the middle somewhere, right? right. And, no longer and at the top. They're no longer at the top, and that adjustment sometimes daunts and phases phases people, and and sometimes feel people feel pressured, um, you know, to, to to be right at the top all the time or to to perform instantly. And it's a little bit what we talked about before. It's 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 not how you start, but in the in the long run, how you finish. And I've seen. Yeah. You know, in my field, I've seen many great engineers who were not the fastest, quickest starters, but have thought deeply and were the best finishers. Mm. Uh, one of the examples is a, um, a colleague of mine from the, who's in the National Academy of Engineering named Dean Kamen. 
and he's the one who invented the Segway, you know, that uh, yeah. two-wheel device, side yeah, sidewalk device, right? And uh, he told an interesting story about, um, you know, when he was a student, I think he was at uh, uh, BU or, or uh, I think he was, he was at Boston University, I think. Uh, and he was a C student as an engineer, and yet he's one of the most famous and successful engineers in, in America. And, and it was because uh, every time the instructor said something interesting, he would stop and think about it. And it was like, wow, that, that's really interesting. And, that was, and he, would be, he would be reflecting. And the next thing he knew, the class was over. He hadn't heard anything else that had happened. So, so sometimes yeah. those, you know, those who are not quick to pick things up are actually uh, the ones who end up thinking the most deeply and making the most impact. And it's kind of a double-edged sword, especially in education, like now and stuff. There's not enough space for and space for those thinkers, and I think teachers are realizing that and giving yeah. time for yeah for reflection and stuff. Reflection and thinking. You're very wise beyond your years, Tommaso. Uh, that's that's really good. <laughs> well, uh, it's hard for me though because I'm the rusher. I'm the one who always has his hand up first or always has something to say, and the teachers are always like, "Take a second, think yes. about it." Like. So yes. I've been doing that for a while now. Yeah, you know, there, there's a paradox for, for learners and for teachers, which is there's too too much to learn. There's so much to learn that you do need to try to, tailor. if you're an instructor, you need to tailor your instruction to a, a, a pedagogy that works best for students to learn quickly yeah. because you really want them to learn a lot of material. Yeah, in on a the short other, amount of time. On, on the other hand, yeah, if you don't stop once in a while and, and give students time to reflect, you don't get the deeper understanding. Yeah. So, and, and so that's a paradox that make that's what makes teaching such a difficult art and the same for learners, right? You, yeah. you, don't, you don't have time as a, as a freshman to question every new fact that, that, no. that comes across you or, you or you just would end up like Dean Kamen kind of yeah. falling way behind. Yeah. At the same time, it's really important every once in a while, take a, take a moment to think back on how does this fit into the, the overall picture to yeah. the world at large, to my life and my goals and things like that. Right, and it's especially difficult, I think, with COVID now because there's no in-person instruction time. Yeah. So I think teachers feel like there's a lack of something and they need to make up so you have even more work and yes. now you're, and now you feel like you're behind the eight yes. ball even so more. more, more drinking from a fire hose, right? Yeah, right. but I feel like, uh, I mean, as a studio art major, it's been fairly simple for me. But yes. I see my friends who are nursing majors and engineering yes. majors, and they're like, ah. yeah. I'm like, just, but just don't forget to breathe and take yes, a don't second. forget to breathe. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone's like, uh, feels like they're suffocating, yes. and like I have one friend who. Um, it's like, I'm not even sure if I want to stay with this major. It's like, right. don't. Like, yes. No one's holding you. Uh, no yes. one's holding a gun to your head saying you need to be an engineer. Yeah. Go explore other things. And I think that's what, yeah. especially being young and being in college is about. I, I guess I would, I, I think that's good advice at, uh, eventually, but I would start by saying don't get overwhelmed. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, take a step back, do what you can. Uh, fin finish out, you know, finish out the semester. Don't don't jump ship in the middle, yeah. uh, and uh, and and don't sweat it too much. But yes, and you know, after you take a step step back, it's you know possible to think about is this the right course for me, right, right and, course of action. Um, and speaking of COVID times and stuff like that, I've been especially proud of how UConn has handled everything and our cases and stuff. Um, me too. And so, how has your first year experience? How do you think first-year experience have been impacted by COVID? And do you think that yeah. it's as big of a hindrance as people are, people think it oh, is? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, 
when we were first hit with it, uh, you know, we, we, heard, we heard about it coming in February. We, we in the administration stood up in late February. We stood up our emergency planning group. When we did that, we were thinking it was just precautionary. Right. It wasn't like we were really going <laughs> to Think about anything. how naive we are. We were so naive. And then uh, in March, we sent out some message telling faculty to prepare to be online by a certain date. But we're just being, you know, cautious. Just cautious. Don't, don't just worry. Cautious. Don't worry. It wasn't any... And then we planned, then we uh, created a, a, scheduled a town hall so we could answer questions about our contingency plans, right. you know, uh, it, just to let people know we were preparing. By the time the town hall actually came along, it was no longer contingency plans. They were implementation yeah, they're plans. They're like, this is happening so, now. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> so, so it turned out it was good that we had the town hall scheduled because we could answer questions about, okay, we're doing it. We're, right. yeah, you know, everyone's going home. <laughs> and uh, that was last March. Um, that was really a frightening time for me because I was doing the math and we were looking at the morbidity rates across the country and how many people were getting sick and what the rate of, you know, of death was. And my, my worst fear was we would lose a member or even members of the Yukon community. And as president that you can't imagine, nothing weighs on you more heavily. So all you're thinking is what can I do to, to, uh, reduce the chances that, that we would have a member of the Yukon community who dies. Yeah. And so everything was focused towards that. And then, um, you know, this year, um, you, you know, I mean, with this, the spring, the spring online semester was relatively successful in the sense that, that when I asked students, um, you know, uh, what was the more difficult adjustment academic or social, every single student said it was social. Yeah. And so that, that meant that academically, you know, the online pedagogy worked. Nobody, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. terrific. And then we, then we uh, spent a little bit of time preparing for, you know, for fall and over the summer to make that um, online experience better. A lot of faculty uh, took the time to work with our Center for Teaching and Learning and uh, improve their pedagogy. It's still, you know, it's still like, like in-person instruction, you're going to have some wonderful yeah, professors and some that. and some that are not so great yeah, <laughs> right. that, that that's universal in higher education everywhere it was my experience as a student and it'll be your kids experience <laughs> right. when they're it's students universal. right but we i think as a whole uh, the faculty did a did a really conscientious effort to try to elevate um uh their game mm -hmm. and um and so when we look at the data right now and i just got some last week um from the survey data that students take when they go meet with their advisor. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we get, it's really good data, I think 17,000 responses. And we look at it compared to last year. Uh, we see some interesting trends that in general, there's not a significant difference in academic satisfaction between this year last and year. last year. So pre-COVID. That's good to hear. Which is good. Uh, you do see some differences. Uh, the, the biggest difference is a lack of a friend and support network. Yeah. So that's obvious. Uh, we see a slightly slight increase in uh, academic stress, feeling overwhelmed by the academics. And I think that's the challenges of being online to yeah, some extent. Because it's like you don't know if you're going to miss, oh, did I miss this module? Or did something yeah. buried in Husky Suchi yeah. that I didn't know I was yeah. going to need? No, I think that's right. I think that, that creates a little bit of anxiety. We're seeing a little bit, interestingly, a little less stress. Uh, fewer people are feeling financially overwhelmed. That's, and I think that's, that's, that's good. That's a, the silver lining. I think that's because we were able to maintain our full financial aid for people, uh, you know, which assumed that they were going to be paying for housing. And some of them are, some people were staying at home and saving the cost of housing and dining. Yeah. And, and so, 
you know, as a whole, students are a little bit in a little bit better position because of that, even though many families are in a much more difficult position because of COVID. Yeah. So just, you know, so not, I don't want to overgeneralize because, because there are, there are, um, yeah, everybody's, this place ev everybody's a, is, is in a different situation, yeah. but, but the data show statistically that these are the trends. And, um, so I, I guess I'm most pleased about the first one, the, the sense that the, the academic satisfaction with the program is, is right on par with what it's been in the past. And, and uh, so I would say uh, nobody loves it. Uh, what I've heard from students is, um, what was the, one of my favorite quotes from a student was, um, you know, being, being online sucks, but it sucks less than or being at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, so <laughs> at least they're here. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. So, and you can be like thankful for so many things and it's like, right. Right. Got to take each day at a time. Yeah. And I'm, uh, you know, right now I'm feeling really good about you sort of alluded to, you know, how proud we are of UConn and I'm, how proud I am of the students and the way they've handled this and the way they kept each other safe and kept, kept us open for yeah, them. Well, and it would be such a shame too because like the sheer amount of work that just went into yes. reopening. Yes. And then we would get here and imagine we just yeah. would have to. You know, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking when uh, Carolina closed because they closed before we opened, right? And, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and I'd gone around and I'd seen, you know, you see all the signage and you see all the, the reconfiguration of classrooms that facilities yeah. people had done and the facilities group gave me a tour and they were so proud of all their work and all the hand sanitization stations and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, well, it would be so sad that they did, you know, these really weeks nothing. and weeks yeah. of work. And then we send everybody home in a day. And it was just, it, it was, that was what my worry at, at the beginning. Yeah, it and, just wouldn't make sense. And, uh, and so I was so relieved that we actually made it through the first couple of weeks. And, yeah, then, and now we're all the way in November. And now, yeah, now we're here and we're going to make it through the semester, uh, you know, pretty clearly. And uh, that's really great news. Yeah. And so now that we're in November, looking at the spring and stuff, do you have any, what are, what are some of your big, or not even big goals, but goals for the spring semester that you'd want different from the fall? Yeah, I think, you know, there's going to be a, a gradual re, uh, resumption of normalcy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there's some things that we are doing right now and some things that we're not able to do right now. But w one example is athletes are training, but they're not competing. In the spring, athletes will, tr will train and compete and we'll be able to watch them, but not in person. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just, it's a step towards back to normal when probably next fall we'll, they will train and compete and we will watch, we'll them, watch them in third yeah, person. It's... So I think we're, what I'm looking forward to is about spring is kind of a, an incremental step back to normalcy. Mm -hmm. I think we might have a few more people in the dorms. We're going to be up, we're going to open it up to about 5,000 instead of right now we're at about 3,700. Gotcha. Uh, so it's, that's incremental back to normalcy. I, I think it's going to be possible for student organizations to be more active and, plan student events and programs that are, um, you know, uh, COVID safe, you know, physically distant and, and things like that. But uh, and we haven't had much of that this, this fall. So right. there've been a few university uh, organized programs like grab and go tie dye t-shirt and all the Halloween activities. But, but uh, I think it'll be a lot more student involvement, student engagement. So uh, and we're going to have, a, I think the courses, we're going to have more in-person courses and more synchronous courses. Good. So, you, so we're, again, it's just incremental just steps. Just moving away from what is now to yeah, back to where we it's, were. It's a That's step good. between yeah. where we are now and where, yeah, and, and back to where we were. Good. Yeah. So I had to mention this earlier, but I talked about the signature question that we are hoping yeah. to ask all our guests. And so 
we're all first at something, yeah. whether, like I said, going to college or you're the first person to like, try ice cream in your family. Yeah. But what was something first for you that you feel like set you on a different path or something that sparked something new for you? Uh, well, let's see. I the, the first thing that came to mind, because I'm, you know, very Connecticut specific, Yukon specific, is mm-hmm. um, uh, I was aware when I came in that I'm the first engineer to be president of Yukon. Yeah. So, uh, you know, very proud of that and you know proud of my engineering background but i'm an engineer who loves the arts you're you're a studio arts major and uh, you know uh so this is perfect for me it, it allows me to bring my problem solving uh, uh approach to the world and, yeah. and uh, combine it with my love for things like you know uh, performing arts and sports and and humanities and social sciences and and uh, really bring all of that together um, and I think in some ways um, I can be a better advocate for these these other fields because it's not self-serving to me to, to say how important it is that um, to, to the state and the economy, to our mission, that we have strong uh, arts, and, arts and humanities. Yeah. Uh, when you think about innovation and what it requires to be successful, to, to, make, to make an innovation means you invent something or you adopt an invention and implement it in a way that it benefits people's lives. To do that, it has to be feasible, which is what usually what the engineers do. Mm-hmm. But it also has to be viable, which is usually what business people do, is right. make sure there's a business plan behind it that's affordable. But it also has to be desirable. If people don't want it, True. then it, it won't get adopted. Yeah, it so won't it's a whole anything. team that needs and, to work on and something. And when you think about the desirable, that's, that's the human part. That's yeah. the behavioral part. That's policy part. All of the other elements of a great university come into play. So That's good. And especially as, as an engineer, you probably have a different set of skills than someone who's uh, I, I has think a psychology so. background. I think something. so. Yeah, in fact, my provost is a psychology background. So oh. so that's the goal is you, you, you like to bring... You build a team with you, everyone. You try to build a team of, yeah. that is as diverse as possible for, for those reasons. Yeah, we talked to uh, um, the last student we talked to, Allison. She's an engineering major, but she also is a create, loves creative writing and is so yeah. into that as well. And she, we talked about how like being having one of something is yeah. not as interesting as having so many different things of something. So that's why I mentioned yeah. because of your team and stuff like that. Yeah, no, she's like the Renaissance scholar. Yeah, right. Of, was of it Jack of all trades? Yeah, you know, in the Renaissance, they really valued people who could do everything. Mm-hmm. And I think in the 21st century, it's it's the great straddlers. It's uh, the, the people who can be uh, an engineer and also a great communicator writer. Yeah. I mean, it's that that is in the spirit of a, a Renaissance scholar, I think. And uh, just to close out now, um, is there any advice you'd give to our listeners? I know we talk yeah. we talk about advice a lot and stuff. And yeah. what would you say? And what's your goals and stuff? But yeah, no, I, I'm happy to. And and you know the thing about advice is that it the advice I give differs depending on which stage you are. And so this is this is to freshmen. I've I've, I've given a little implicit advice about rela- you know relax a little, take the time to reflect and and uh, think deeply. Don't worry about it being a race. Don't feel daunted if you don't pick it up faster than the other person. It's really how you finish. There's one other piece of advice I haven't given and I want to add on, which is um, it, it was given to me at this age, and, and I, I think it was useful. It, it's kind of either work hard, play hard, or work hard, play smart, something like that, mm-hmm. which is which is the, the notion that at this moment in, in your life, the, the hard work you're putting in to your studies is going to pay off in terms of greater open doors down the line yeah. and opportunities. And so it's it's all worth it. So 
you know, it, later in life, I'll give you different advice, which is, <laughs> which is to have to focus on work-life balance and things like that. Yeah. But not right now. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, stay well, and, of have. course, and all those things. But, but the hard work is worth it. Put, put the effort in now. Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll open great doors for you. So I've asked you a lot of questions. Now yeah. it's your turn to ask me a question. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you've uh, come to UConn as a freshman and, and uh, during a historic pandemic. I mean, how will you tell, what do you think you'll tell your grandchildren about, <laughs> about when you were in college? You know, the, there's the famous thing about, you know, when I was in college, yeah, I, had I, walk, I had to walk to school in the snow five miles uphill both ways, you know. Uh, what will you tell your grandchildren about what it was like to be a college freshman during the great pandemic of 2020? Right? Well, I think I would say, I would say it's not as dramatic as you're learning about it. You know what I mean? That's such an interesting like, uh, answer. That's um, so interesting. My mom is in the parents' group yeah. and she's like, oh, these parents are freaking out about their kids and stuff. Like, oh, they're not having a good time on campus yeah. or they're not making any friends in the dorms. And she was like, are you feeling that way? And I was like, no, it's not really what's going on here at campus. I think... Um, as parents and stuff, you're always worried about your kid going off to college and yeah, stuff, but yeah. especially during a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and it's just like so not what was happening on campus. Yeah. Like, uh, like the first couple of weeks, uh, everybody was outside when we had no classes and it was just quarantine. We were all outside just socially distanced, yeah. like, but meeting each other and yeah. meeting new people. And it's pretty much, I think it's college as usual, but college online. Yes. Um, so I think that's what I would tell my grandchildren. That's a but I mean, knowing me when I'm probably that old and stuff, I'd, I'd probably drama it up and be like, it was so hard. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I got COVID, my fingers were falling off and stuff. But no, yeah, it's not as dramatic as everyone's freaking yeah. out to me. <laughs> I mean, personally, for me, I don't know. It could be very dramatic for other people. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, that's that's very interesting. Very good answer, and, and also very good in, insight into how it will evolve over time. <laughs> yeah, right. Stories kind traumatize. of stories kind of twist and turn. Stories and have a way a to become more dramatic. Yeah. Them, yeah, right. I'm sure that 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 math class I took had only 180. <laughs> yeah, we were like, in my mind is 300. Up. Yeah, <laughs> right. We tend to exaggerate, yeah. but I think that's good. Yeah. Exaggeration is a good thing. Yeah, um, but. Uh, that's, I think, the end of our conversation today. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me it's on a, this snowy, snowy morning. But yeah, it's memorable and yeah. enjoyable. Thank you, Tommaso, for having me. Of course. Yeah. Anytime. All the uh, best to all the, all the freshmen out there. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. My First Year Story podcast is a production of the University of Connecticut's undergraduate student body in collaboration with the Office of First Year Programs, Learning Communities, the Academic Achievement Center, and the Learning Community Innovation Zone. Our co-producers are Casey Jaycox and Hannah Peterson. Our staff advisors are Cody Ryan and Helena DeBalt. For more information on our podcast, to meet our entire staff, and to listen to more episodes, visit fyp.uconn.edu backslash mfys. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at UConnFYP.